Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins. And today I'm here with Chandler Vanoy. Hello. And a return guest, but it's been a minute since he's been on. Uh, Josh Gagnon, who's the founding and lead pastor of Next Level Church. Uh, and so this is one of the churches that you you may not have heard of, but you should. Uh, and that's because uh, he serves in New Hampshire. And it is, and you're still like one of the fastest growing churches. So we hear about people who uh, go up to those parts um, from other places in the country. And they end up coming back because <laughs> they get their teeth kicked in. So uh, tell us a little bit more about growing a church in your context and how that started. Because it's fairly different. It's, I think, a little unique than other stories I've heard. Yeah, you're definitely not in the limelight when you plant a church in, in New England. It's the least <laughs> church region of the country. It's certainly not where people go to learn about church planting or church growth. You typically don't hear about many conferences in New England uh, regarding those things. And so Jennifer and I, in 2008, we started Next Level Church. Um, really, it was it was more of an accident than this strategic plan. I had never been to a church larger than 200 people in my life, never went to Bible school. I was a pre-law criminal justice major in college and was taking Bible courses online, but never been to traditional Bible school. Um, we had no money, no people. We just had some friends that that we loved that didn't feel connected at a church or didn't feel like they could get connected at a church just because of their past. And, and uh, yeah, so we started a small group in our basement and it started to grow. And the next thing you know, we're renting something. And the next thing you know, we're having to find a, an actual church name. I made that name up, Next Level Church, because I was watching ESPN one morning and they had a <laughs> They had a thing that was like next level sports. And so someone came up to me one day and they're like, what are we going to name this church? And I, I wanted to act spiritual. I, I had no answer. So I was like, next level church. Cause I just seen it on ESPN. They were like, Ooh, yeah, that's good. Wherever so, you are, sports we're taking you to your next. Exactly. And so it was, it was really sloppy at the start, you know, it was, it was, but there's something pure in that. Isn't there like, man, I wish I could get back to that same heart where I didn't know statistically that we should die. I didn't know that all the odds were against us. All I knew is I love Jesus. Jesus loves others. Let's do something to talk about Jesus to them. And so there's just this purity. I wasn't comparing numbers. I had, I wasn't um, lusting after everybody else's highlight reel. And so there's just this purity in starting Next Level Church. And it's funny, I did not even know I was starting a church in a hard region because starting a church was never on my radar. Mm. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, we have 10 locations throughout New England. So we started in New Hampshire, but now we're around New England. Um, there's six states in New England. And um, we also have a, a location in Tampa, Florida that's growing uh, well. And so we really look at the entire East Coast now as an opportunity for us to, to reach people for Jesus. And we're excited that that started um, where nobody would have thought uh, a movement of God could start. And so that, that's, that's a cool part of our story. So you said you started as a small group in a basement and then all of a sudden we're moving to, Hey, we got to rent some space. And then somebody asks you the church name. At what <laughs> point did you realize, Oh, this is, this is a church that we're starting, not just a small group. And then at what point were you like, okay, well, I've got to start leading. And you probably started leading and that's how 
you know, and at this base, but it's like, okay, well, I've got to get serious about stepping into that leadership role. Yeah, I think when the bills finally started coming in, I was like, all right, <laughs> this, is, this is a real deal. Like, we have no money, we have bills. All right, we got to figure this out, you know? And so, you know, I think leadership is something we do either intentionally or unintentionally, right? We're, we're, all, we're all leaders in, in some capacity. And so growing up, I can see the fingerprints of God in my life where I was running my dad's drywall company at 16 years old. I'm running drywall crews and speaking to men way older than me and, and leading men way older than me. And you know, and then I was a, a captain on my basketball team through college. And and so I could see just these fingerprints of leadership. God was developing me. He was preparing me for what he had already prepared for me. I just didn't know that that was going to be um, the opportunity to, to lead a church. And and so it's cool when you look back at your story, you're like, wow, God, you're sovereign. Wow, God, you were preparing me like David, right, in the field. It's like, what am I doing looking after sheep while the rest of my family is out there being chosen from? And it's like, listen, Listen, you're looking after the sheep so you know how to fight off animals that will help you defeat Goliath. And so, yeah, for me, uh, looking back, um, God prepared me to lead Next Level Church, but it wasn't in a church environment. And and and, and I think it's important for the listeners to realize that, that God's preparing you wherever you are for what he's already prepared for you. You just have to be faithful and uh, step into it. That's a great reminder. So who are you currently learning from i mean you know you've you've gone through a lot of different transitions i'm sure over the years and growing pains over the years who but who are you currently learning from we have the five leadership uh, uh, questions podcast is something that really (laughs) (laughs) i mean every week that's all i learn from right no the the only the only thing if i didn't have that man the whole thing crumbles um (laughs) We uh, we have the the honor of learning from from everybody. You know, I try to be a student. I know that sounds like cliche, but just a student in every environment because you can learn from from anybody if you really want. Like my kids teach me a lot, so I think sometimes this question is like, who are you learning from? And we have to come up with like, you know, these large figures, larger than life figures. And it's like, man, you know, I learn a lot from my kids. Um, I learn a lot from leading my kids, but. Um, in, in my life, just to kind of dig in a little bit to that question, uh, in my life, there are really four different types of people that are always present. And, and I think that's true for everyone's life. And these four different types of people, I build guardrails around those relationships and I learn a lot from them. And so uh, there's, there's uh, this is how I categorize them. I categorize them as vampires, zombies, sidekicks, and heroes. And I love I this sounds, already. <laughs> I, I know this sounds crazy, but you got to work with me for just a minute. We'll get there, all right? So so vampires, when you're asking who am I learning from, well, I have to know who people are, and I got to categorize them so I know who to learn from and, and who to learn the most from. So vampires are people that are always sucking the life out of you. Like we have those in our life, right? It's those people where you get done on a weekend and like everything was good except the music was too loud. And you're like, why did you have to say the last part? I was fine with everything was good, right? It's like, you know, so there's these people that you just feel drained after you hang out with them. And then there's zombies. And these are people that are winking at you in the office, but you're married, so they shouldn't be winking at you. And they're trying to derail you. It's important to understand that relationship context. Now, now there's sidekicks like Robin to Batman. Now, these are who I'm learning from, the sidekicks in my life. Those are people I allow close to me to speak into my life. And, and a lot of people say, well, if they're just sidekicks, if they're just for you, then nobody's critiquing you. But that's not true. My sidekicks in my life, which would be my executive team, my wife, Jennifer, uh, close friends in ministry, uh, close friends who aren't in ministry, man, I let them speak into my life 
because they're willing to sweat into my dreams. And so I let them speak into my life because they're sweating alongside of me. And then there's heroes um, who are people who have gone before us. And I've got heroes in my life. Like Gordon McDonald's a hero of mine. I get together with him. Uh, hopefully monthly. I just talked with him actually this morning about next week. And, and that's a hero in my life where I look at his life and it's somewhere I want to end up, you know? And so I think we got to have those type of relationships categorized. We have to have people walking alongside of us as sidekicks. They're sweating with us in our pursuit of what we hope to become. They're speaking into our life. I'm learning from them. And then of course, heroes, people who've gone out before us, targets that we're aiming at, that are able to help guide us in, in that direction. And so yeah, I'm learning from them and in the in this in this podcast. <laughs> Throw that one so back good. in there. I like that. So on the heroes piece, I know you mentioned, you know, these are people you're looking up to. And of course you can you can listen from afar. You can also, you know, read read books from those that are heroes. But it seems like for you, you've been able to establish a relationship with a, a hero of yours where you're actually sitting across the table. Um and I'd I'd love to, you know, maybe those listening are like, there's some heroes in my life and maybe they're not the best-selling author, but there's somebody in our local context I just want to learn from. How would you say, what advice would you give to say, hey, here's how to reach out to someone and to be able to learn from them and have some time with them? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a good point. Heroes aren't just um, the leaders in our country that are leading the fastest growing churches or the largest ministries or best-selling authors. You know, a hero for somebody could be someone who has a marriage they hope to someday have. Right. So if yeah. you're going through life right now and there's someone in your church or there's someone in your life and they've just got a marriage that's thriving. Well, that should be a hero in your life. You should you should ask them, can we sit down? Can we get together once a week and, and, and not for counseling? Can we just be in your home? Can we just see how you interact? Would you be a hero in my life? You know, that's kind of corny to ask, but you're knowing you're kind of going up to them like, listen, can I get together with you? Can we be around you? Um, if there's an addiction you struggle with, right? A hero would be someone who's overcome that addiction or someone who doesn't struggle with that addiction. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Heroes are simply people who are living the life now that we hope to someday live. And the more we're in the presence of heroes, that doesn't mean a hero is, like you said, somebody who's on the front page of a magazine. A hero is simply someone living the life you hope to live. It could be your next door neighbor. Well, get in their presence, and it's impossible for us to not head the right direction when we're in the presence of people living where we hope to go, right? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? That type of thinking. And so, yeah, as, as far as asking them, I think it's just asking them not to be a hero, but just to do life together. Get in the presence of people that are representing what you hope to someday live within. Super helpful. Well, moving to the next question, what is... You, you said that you guys have now 10 locations, you know, up in New England, also have a church down in Tampa. What is the main point of emphasis for your leadership team right now? Yeah, it changes, it changes so often. Um, I, I would say right now it's trying to live with, with surrendered expectations. It's something we've been focusing on for a few years. You know, when you start and you're the complete underdog and you've only got a few people on staff and you all have different jobs and you're just fighting to somehow stay alive, you grow this mentality. I think it's a healthy mentality, right? You grow this level of grit. You know, when I look back at the early stages of Next Level, we had no no name, no giving. You know, I was getting paid $100 a week on the weekends where the giving was over $1,000 a week, right? So if we brought in over $1,000 in tithes and offerings, I got 100 bucks. <laughs> oh, we're at 950. Um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, man. You know, so it's like, this is this tension. Like you start with this church planting mentality. And that yeah. mentality is, man, we've got to stay alive, right? Mm. 
Well, then five years in, you're hiring people. Or for us, maybe you know, six years in, it went from me and three other uh, people who were part-time just grinding to now we're hiring on people with that same mentality. And we're just grinding. and We're just working. And we're just dreaming. And, and what I've been helping and trying to grow in myself and our team is this, this understanding of surrendered expectations. Um, we have no problem running fast. We have no problem working hard. We have no problem believing for great things. But, but we do often live with an expectation that can create discouragement and despair if we don't see it. So I'm trying to teach myself, I'm trying to teach our team, listen, let's keep the grit. Let's keep the passion. Let's keep great expectations for God to do great things. But in the end, in the end, let's go ahead and surrender our expectations. So this is what we're hoping to see this year. But team, are we okay saying, God, we surrender this expectation to you? Because a surrendered expectation isn't going to cause as much discouragement and despair or bitterness. I don't know how many leaders are like me, but I'll just keep it 100. Like I, I get bitter at God when I feel like I've earned my way towards results. I get bitter. And I, 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 when I start feeling bitterness, I know that I have expectations that I haven't yet surrendered to God. And so I'm trying to lead a team that's completely surrendered to God and their expectations while expecting great things and working hard to see them. That's really good. I mean, trusting the Lord, even if, if those expectations don't come about, you're still faithful in Him. You still are satisfied in that. So a great reminder to have. And I want to follow up on kind of the first part of that, what you're talking about. Okay, five years in, you, you're running as the church plant man- mentality, just trying to hustle your way through, have that grit. Um, but there's going to be this point where he somewhat moved from the, we're a church plant mindset to, okay, now we're a established church. We now have... 10 locations. How did you move from that mindset? And maybe, maybe you would say, well, we didn't really have to, um, but what was that shift like? No, you definitely have to. I don't think it happens overnight, right? I think, I think any organization that's growing, there's grace involved there where there's, you know, seasons of transition. But, you know, I can remember looking at our team often and saying, hey guys, listen, we can't continue living with the same church plant mentality. You know, we can't continue to just push, 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 because we're going to we're going to lose health, you know, individually, organizationally. And so, you know, what worked back then isn't going to work um, in sustaining us for the future. And, and and I think I think any organization that's a startup faces that. And then the, but there's beauty in that. Right. I think it would be bad for us to say that that's 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 a negative. Because part of who Next Level Church is right now is a church that started from nothing and still has this grit grit ingrained within it. You know, one of the dangers of, 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 of the church world is, is, is the lack of grit, the lack of resolve. When we face resistance, we often feel like we want to back down from it. And at Next Level Church, all we've ever really faced is resistance. And so there's this good and the bad, you know, you don't want to become that Titanic where it takes six years to make a decision because you're so big, you, you can barely make a decision. Yet again, you don't always want to stay a speedboat because a speedboat doesn't have much stability. And so somewhere in between that that speedboat mentality and that Titanic that's grown so big and has to get 25 yeses in order to make a decision, somewhere in between the lack, you know, somewhere in between that speedboat and the Titanic is probably a good balance of an organization that can still move quick. It's not too fat, but yet it's not so quick that it can easily top over. I think one of the interesting things here to think about too is how the connection of purpose, you know, vision, values, and not allowing that to drift 
in organizations like yours that I've seen that have have been successful and have scaled out, it's organizations that have enough um, vision values and stuff really ingrained into the culture because all culture is a shared behavior that people make the right decisions in alignment because you're you're exactly right. I mean, once there's so much skin in the game. There's a lot more to lose. There's much more at stake. And so centralization is a response to risk or fear. Um, can you talk about how you guys have maintained that value or the values around your original purpose, which, of course, is making disciples? But, but how have you maintained that grit element? Yeah, I think I think like you said, it's, it's those values. It's when people come on staff, we make sure that they hear our story. We make sure that they memorize and understand and and agree with our values. And 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 one of the things you mentioned was culture. You know, we talk a lot in the church about vision, right? We talk a lot about have a vision, have a vision. For a while, you had to put your vision statement on the wall, right? And have a mission statement, have a mission statement, and all those things are great. They're all great in my opinion, but a vision statement is pointless outside of a culture that can carry it. Hmm. And so for me, I, I think we need to, I think we focus so hard and there are so many books, like the church goes on these, these, these like uh, focuses, right? We, we just, we go on these rabbit trails and for a while it's vision, 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 vision. You got to cast vision. And I'm all about that. But I've seen major, major vision casters not succeed because they couldn't build a culture that the vision could stand on. And so for me, that shared amount of values, that, that, that shared language, that shared taste, that shared feel, that shared understanding, that culture, that's something you can't put your finger on, but yet it's just who you are, that DNA. I think that that's what supports the vision. And so for me, all along, it's been, how can we, how can we keep this culture? So when I'm walking in a parking lot, I see a piece of paper on the ground. I call out my leadership team and I say, guys, this isn't who we are. Our culture is excellence. We keep the new car smell. We keep the new car smell. We may be getting older, but we keep the new car smell. When we have a meeting and someone comes in the meeting and they start with a problem, I say, whoa, 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 that's not our culture. That's not our culture. Our culture is we don't present problems. We bring solutions. And so there's just been this, this complete focus on culture culture, 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 culture. And, and if you have culture keepers on the team that you've developed and you make sure that you're continuing to push to them the importance of culture to those coming on, it is possible to um, build a team that all is, are that they're all heading the, the right and same direction. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree more that that culture for us has been a major reason why we can go from New England to Florida. How can you launch a location 1,400 miles away? Well, um, how can you use a video teaching 1400 miles away? Well, when you walk into the Florida location or you walk into our broadcast location, the culture is the exact same. The vision is the same, but that's easy. The culture is the same. That's difficult. That takes a lot of work. That's really good, man. All right. So, um, what are one or two things that you have to do daily other than the spiritual disciplines, uh, in order to stay sharp as a leader? Yeah. Um, read, <laughs> read my Bible seven hours a day, right? <laughs> like, uh, keep, yeah, I think for, for me, when, when you say every day, there's a lot of lying that's off. There's a lying opportunity here that I have to be careful about, right? Like <laughs> I'm not sure I do anything every day that I should do. I would say that, that the things I do most of the time, you know, for instance, I run, I exercise about five days a week, five days a week. And, 
And um, that's really some time that I spend with, with God. I put in my, I put on my beats. I look like a, a wounded human running down the road. Let's not joke with one another. <laughs> right? Every once in a while, I like wonder Phoebe if the ambulance is going to stop. <laughs> Dude, you need a lift? Like, okay. <laughs> it's like, you know, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to my assistant today, Walter, and, and I was like, man, I honestly thought a few people were going to stop and ask me to go to the emergency room. It looked that bad out there. So I don't want to be the guy on here. Like I run every day and I look like a, you know, a, a beautiful, you know, animal out there running with grace. No, I'm look wounded, but I get it done. All right. And uh, I put on the beats and I pray while I'm running and I pray for my team. I'm, I'm so, I'm so like, uh, all over the place mentally, you know, I can barely sit for a long time, just personality wise, forcing myself to run every day forces me, forces me to stay in a moment. And that's more important than running to me is staying in the moment of running. And so while I'm in that moment, I just pray and I think, and I have beats on so I can make phone calls while I jog and, and, and run. And so running something I do, and if I don't do it, I feel pretty frustrated. Um, I journal, I don't know. Is that a spiritual discipline that I shouldn't mention? <laughs> is that right? We can talk Technically, about it. Yes. But. I mean, I just want to be that guy. <laughs> I, uh, I, I journal, um, and, uh, get out my emotions there. I verbally process to my team. I think every day, pretty much every day, you know, of course a day off, I wouldn't, but I'm a verbal processor, even though I'm an introvert. And, uh, and so I'll call them and we'll go through things. Um, I take walks and I take naps. Now, my nap doesn't always include sleeping, but I take a nap every single day. Let me explain that. When I come home, my wife, Jennifer, knows my personality as an introvert. I need at least a half hour where I'm not attacked by humans. And so when I walk in the door, my kids run over like they're 12 and 11. Every time I walk in the door, it's like they've never seen me before, right? It's like, Dad! <laughs> right. It's like, all right, we just did this third, you know, four hours ago. But, you know, you give them a big hug and I embrace them. Certainly, I, I adore that. And then Jennifer, I give her a hug and then I go upstairs and she knows she usually has a snack out for me. She's so precious. I grab a snack. I go upstairs. I lay down. I don't sleep. I lay down and I just decompress. I do that every single day. If I don't have that 30 minutes or so, um, I'm, I'm not the husband or father I need to be that night. So I always tell, I told Jen early on, if you give me just this amount of time, I'm going to blow your mind with the results. If, <laughs> if, if I don't get this little bit of time, I'm no good. You might as well just tell me not to come home, you know? And so as an introvert, I'm able to, to have that. I have just a precious family that allows that. So those are some things I do every single, every single day or most days. Well, after your nap, uh, when you get back to the house, <laughs> what? Larry Osborne, Larry Osborne said it best, right? Like if you listen to him, he's a good friend of mine. He'll always say, uh, you know, one of the things leaders need to do more is just take a nap. If you don't like what's going on, just lay down and take a nap. <laughs> I was like, amen. Amen. Those, those listening are going to walk away with that and be like, look, it's gotta be a part of my learn one thing. Here's my takeaway. It's my application. <laughs> so one so, thing of that podcast <laughs> is taking that. But my one takeaway was I need to nap more. <laughs> so good. Well, when you get home, uh, once you have your snack and your nap, what does leadership in your home look like? <laughs> After snack time and nap time. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's funny. I get up. <laughs> I make my family the greatest priority in the world. Um, I work really hard at giving them the best of me. Um, you know, that's been a priority of mine. Um, and I'm, I'm not perfect, but... Um, 
I work really hard in making sure that they know that they get the best me when I, when I'm there and, and, and I'm very, very intentional. It's hard to talk about this cause you're talking about yourself, but, um, I feel like I'm very intentional. I'm very intentional when it comes to my family. Um, nothing is accidental. Mm-hmm. So I've already planned out what it's going to look like, how I'm going to be involved. I continue to tell myself, Josh, wherever you are, be all there, wherever you are, be all there. And so I try to be consistent in that. I try to be intentional, give you a couple of just examples that come to mind. I went to Alabama uh, recently and um, <clears throat> my, uh, my kids had a, had a golf tournament. It was, it was the first, their first golf tournament of the year. They're, they're good golfers. Um, and, uh, we were leaving on a Sunday after church, me and a few buddies and the golf tournament was Monday night. And I found that out a week before we were leaving to our, to our trip to Alabama. Mm. And I called up my friends and I called up where we were going. And I said, I can't be there until Tuesday. And so I, I moved the entire trip just to be at my kid's golf tournament. And that's something that I wouldn't have missed. I would have sacrificed the trip to be at that golf tournament because I believe in high impact moments. I believe high impact moments over the course of a long stretch are way more valuable than low impact moments over the course of a long stretch. And so for me, I think a lot of parents or a lot of leaders, we get these low impact moments at home where we show up, but we're still working. We're still busy in our mind and we're on the couch, but we're not there for me. I'm thinking to myself, if I can get two hours of high impact moment with my family, it's so much more healthy than four hours of low impact. And so I'm always looking for high impact moments every single day. Um, my wife's birthday was yesterday and I got, uh, you know, I had three interviews uh, for the book <clears throat> uh, yesterday. And um, my first interview was at nine o'clock, but her favorite thing is breakfast. And so I got up at six thirty with her and we hit the road by seven to go to her favorite breakfast spot. Why? That was a high impact moment for me. I could have went downstairs and had toast with her, but the high impact moment was taking her to breakfast. And I think that high impact moment over the course of a long relationship will last more than those low impact moments that don't cost us much. And so I just think those are a couple of things that I focus on when it comes to my family. And then listen, I have a 12 year old and 11 year old. I haven't won at this yet. I haven't succeeded at this yet. And so take it for what it's worth. That's really good, man. On this podcast, we equip our listeners with the absolute best resources to help their churches thrive. So if you're looking at launching a thriving church in a rented venue or perhaps a new one that you own, I would encourage you to check out the team at Portable Church. Portable Church Industries equips churches meeting in alternative venues with total solutions so that you can launch strong, be reproductive, and thrive in your community. For over 25 years, they've partnered with church planters and multi-site leaders mastering creative, intelligent, and effective portable church solutions so that you and your team can stay focused on the thing that really matters, and that's building disciples. If you want to see what this looks like? Visit portablechurch.com slash Uh, actually I would love to take a moment to talk about your book before I ask you the last question. So it's not over, um, is the title. And, you know, when you first pick it up, you might think it's about one thing, uh, but then you'll see that it's something else. So can you talk to us a little bit about that book? Yeah. Yeah. The heartbeat behind the book, just that 10,000 foot view, the heartbeat behind the book is, is that we're all going to face discouragement. We're all going to face despair. Um, But that doesn't mean we have to live tomorrow with a skeleton of what we hope tomorrow would look like. 
And so for me, when it comes to dreams, it's a little bit different um, than the dream of ending world hunger. I think that's a great dream. But for me, in my heart, my dream is to overcome insecurity, you know, completely comparing myself to others. And and other people may have a dream in a, a restored relationship, or they may have a dream to, to, to overcome bitterness. They may have a dream to start a business. And so I think the word dream often becomes this big word. And it's like, we have to go, you know, to, to a foreign land in order to chase a dream. And I think a lot of dreams are sitting inside of our heart right now, things that we've given up on, prayers that we've stopped praying that we should continue to pray. And so this book, It's Not Over, is is believing that, and it gives us tools to, to continue to work towards what it will look like to continue to live with hope tomorrow, live with hope tomorrow. And so just like something tangible, uh, I, I, I stopped I praying for Next Level Church the way I used to pray for it because after years of praying, I kind of knew what was going to happen, Right. And I think our ministry leaders can understand that. They, they, they've prayed and prayed and prayed and haven't seen the results they'd hoped they'd see. So their prayer life becomes small. Their hope life becomes small. Their dream life becomes small. And this book is about, hey, listen, it's not over. The reality is, is you don't have to live with shattered hopes in the future. God wants us to overcome that and continue to chase after his best. And so that's that's kind of the 10,000 quick view. We talk about how relationships uh, damage or help our dreams. We talk about how our prayer life and our dream life are paralleled. We don't have a prayer problem. We have a dream problem. We talk about how to finish strong in this book. We talk about how to overcome discouragement, how to learn to soar, where discouragement comes from. And so, yeah, I think this book is going to be a blessing to, to many leaders. And thanks for asking that question and giving me an opportunity to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. So, I, I mean, you I know, gotta go take I, a nap. We're this. It's a great book to read. Uh, all right. So, when uh, when you go back and you you look over the course of your life and ministry, what would you tell your twenty year old self about preparing to lead for? I would say you are going to overestimate what you're going to see in the short term. And you're going to largely underestimate what God could do if you just stay faithful. I would say you're going to overestimate what you think God's going to do in the short run. I mean, I'm so guilty for fast, like hoping for fast results, but I've learned that fast results are not always sustainable or achievable. And so for me, I've just, I've had to just fight that desire, um, one of the stories in the book, if I, if I could just end with this thought, one of the stories in the book is a, is a story where I took my kids to, um, I took my kids to Lego, to a Lego store. And they're like, dad, look at this Lego set at 4,124 pieces in it. And I'm like, you're not good enough to do that. I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. <laughs> and they're like, dad, we can do it. We can do it. So, you know, we get home and the outside of that box, as you all know, the outside of a Lego set shows the completed picture. And then you get home, you open it up, you dump out all the pieces and all these pieces fall out all over the table. And I think that's how God gives us our, our dream in our heart. And that's how he gave me the dream of next level. And I know the listeners right now, they can see that dream in their heart, whether it's whether they see it with their eyes, I know they see it in their heart. And that's how God hands us a dream. He lets us see the picture of it in our heart. And then he hands us 4,124 pieces. And he says, if you stay faithful, if you stay obedient, if you trust me, if you show grit, if when you fail, you ask forgiveness, repent and get back up. If you continue in faithfulness to allow me to be fruitful, if you continue piece by piece to put that dream together, it's not going to happen in one year. It's not going to happen in five years. And now I'm thankful for that because if the dream in my heart was so small, I could accomplish it in one year. What would I have done the rest of my life? 
And so I'm thankful that the dream that God's placed in my heart is a Lego set too big for me to build in one day. And so for all the listeners listening, if I could encourage you with one thing is just be faithful with the peace that God's given you today. Be faithful with it. Put it in the right place. Be obedient. Be faithful. Be a person of integrity. Continue to build what God's given you. You may not see it this year. It may take a lifetime, but I believe if we're faithful, we can see that dream that God put in our heart. So that's what I would tell my young self is, hey, Josh, chill out a little, bro. It's going to take a while to put that Lego set together. And guess what? I haven't even put it together. I'm still building it. I'm still building it today. That's a great perspective to have. And just thinking about the the dream that God has given you, the place in your heart, you got to take 4,000 steps of obedience towards it. Um, And just great perspective to have on that. Well, Josh, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. And listeners, if you if you have not picked it up yet, go check out It's Not Over. And you're going to want to be able to read that. Put your, And you're going to learn how to take that Lego set and, and be able to put it together in faithfulness to the Lord. And if you have not yet, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help others find the podcast. We'll see you.